All right. Uh, it's a very nice day here in Eatontown, New Jersey. And uh, this is Citizens Going Wild, the podcast. And uh, today we're going to start uh, at a low level. We're going to entertain ourselves for a little while uh, with some gossip and intrigue. That means we're going to attack somebody that I don't like, but who deserves it. And then we're going to go on and talk about something important, which is uh, fake news. Here's the report. Here's the headline. Omar's husband wants a divorce after affair allegations. Okay, who is Omar? Omar is one of my nemesis. Uh, Omar is the representative uh, from Minnesota's 5th Congressional District. And she is responsible for a number of firsts. She's the first Somali-American, the first uh, naturalized citizen from Africa, the first non-white woman elected from uh, Minnesota, and one of the first two Muslims to serve in Congress, along with a woman named Rashida Tlaib. Now, the reason you have heard of her is that she has made a number of rather nasty cracks about Jews and about Israel. She has said when it comes to the Jews, it's all about the Benjamins. Benjamin is a slang term, I gather, that means money, although I don't know what amount. Uh, Do you know that? A hundred dollars. Okay. So she said when it comes to the Jews, it's all about the Benjamins. I'm sorry she took such a low number as just a hundred dollar bill. She said other things as well as well. Uh, she's basically famous for being the, the first um, non-white, non-Christian or Jew uh, representative from Minnesota. Um, she has said, as I, as I mentioned, a number of things that have uh, aggravated Jews and, uh, and other people who don't like bigotry as well. Uh, she has compared uh, Israel to an apartheid regime. She is a backer of the BDS movement. Uh, the BDS movement it means boycott of investment and sanctions. It's basically a way of uh, destroying Israel. It doesn't have a major effect, but it does rile Jews a lot. Uh, she has said, uh, this is one of my favorites, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. Um, I'm not sure if that's the way you speak if you want to slander Jews, but um, that's how she speaks. Now, as luck would have it, you know, you've heard the saying, what goes around comes around. Well, it has come around with a rush. Basically, Representative Ilan Omar is accused of cheating with a married man. And... This is what happened now. Dr. Beth Jordan Minette says his, her cheating spouse, Tim Minette, told her he was having an affair with a Somali-born U.S. representative and that he even made, quote, a shocking declaration of love, end quote, for the Minnesota congresswoman before he ditched his wife. This is one of these marriages where one... Uh, the more prestigious one actually is older. The older one, uh, the man is 55 years old, excuse me, 
Yes, 55. And her 38-year-old husband, who may have been mesmerized by the idea that he was going to marry a doctor who was sort of above him in status, has decided that, no, the flesh is more important. And he um, had a declaration of love for the Minnesota congresswoman. How this will end, I don't know. I don't even know if the this uh, sort of nonsense matters at all. It might not. It might, although Minnesota is kind of an interesting conservative state. But it is very nice to see that what goes around comes around. And slandering or other people, you should kind of check yourself out before you get too excited about slandering uh, people that you uh, evidently know little about. All right, that's the end of our gossip section. That we call Love Gone Wrong, and we'll keep you up to date on that sort of thing when we see what happens here. And uh, what is perhaps most interesting is that so far at least, very few of the television media outlets have mentioned this. This has appeared in print, um, but so far not so much on the, uh, the major media channels. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, fake news. Most people, you know, when they use the word fake news, they mean someone who says that uh, it's Monday when it's Tuesday or Tuesday when it's Wednesday or even Wednesday when it's Thursday. Um, but what I mean is that most news outlets take half of the world and talk about mistakes, wrongs done about the half that they don't like. And they kind of protect the other half, basically not by lying, not by saying there are so many people in a crowd when there are a lot fewer, but by not mentioning things. And there are a lot of things that go on out there that aren't particularly sexy, but that uh, are extremely important. And um, here's one of them. Uh, Betty DeVoice is the head of the uh, Department of Education. Betsy DeVoice, excuse me, is the head of the Department of Education. One of the things that they have been dealing with is in the, that we've noticed that in the last, I don't know, 10, maybe 20 years, there have been a lot of schools, for-profit schools, that have been set up, and they take advantage of poor people generally, uh, people that are not as worldly as you and I are. Um, and they really ruin their lives. They take advantage of two groups. One group is people who basically have never been asked, would you like to go to school? Would you like to go to college? Would you like to get that type of job, this type of prestigious job? And are mesmerized by that promise. They put up a lot of money and... Often what happens with these schools is they don't provide an education that anyone else respects. So these people spend a bloody fortune, get out, don't get a job, but the debt is still there. There's one particular dirty, rotten, low-down aspect of this business, and that is the best people to get hold of that you can take your money from are veterans. The uh, GI Veterans Bill of today is very, very generous, and you get a little bit over $30,000 a year to go to school. That's a fair amount of money. 
and it's guaranteed the government is the one giving it. They're giving it to help a GI. And they're generally the GIs that take advantage of this uh, are the GIs that don't have a lot of money. They are generally the people who are at the pointy end of the spear. They are the people who are shot, blown up, lose a leg, lose an eye, or lose their peace of mind forever. And they're often from small towns. If you will notice, when uh, people die in Iraq and, and uh, Afghanistan, although you may not notice that there aren't that many nowadays, they're often from towns you never heard of. Because the people who are from towns that you have heard of don't show up for work. These people are valuable packages of profits. So valuable that people have set up entire hedge funds, which is a, a, a collection of, of people who put in money and make money off of, by loaning it to particular people. They love to loan money to GIs because they get their money back, regardless of whether the GI, the soldier, gets a valuable education. Because for most of these people, when that initial amount of money is gone, it's gone, and they have no other way to basically further their education after that. Uh, it's disgraceful. The uh, military should give a lecture on this before they leave the service. It should explain that often you can go to a community college and uh, you can do very well at a community college. It's nearly always a recognized educational institution. They teach you the right stuff and they don't charge you very much money. The community colleges around here are a few thousand dollars a year. So, we have people borrowing money. What it hap has happened is, um, uh, the, uh, some of these businesses are so badly run and do so little for the students that eventually the word gets out and the business collapses. But the student still owns, owes the debt. This stinks. Now, uh, there was an initial period of this about three and a half years ago, and Congress actually uh, stepped in, forced a lot of these businesses to close, and, and made up uh, the money lost to the students. However, that was like one initial effort. There are still schools like this, and there are students being left out in the cold. Now, this is what has happened. The U.S. Department of Education has refused to grant or deny borrower defense claims since mid-2018. Basically, what this means is that they've told the students, we're going to make it very hard for you to make a claim so that we end up paying off your debt and you're free and clear, ready to go again. Um, the rules just recently came out. And basically, Betsy DeVos continues to bend to the whims of the most exploitive schools. To me, this is a sin. To take advantage, to not reach out, to help these people. You know, we're always going up to the GIs and saying, well, thank you for your service, thank you for your service, which is worth something. 
But what we really should do is help these people, one, not get into trouble by going to a school that's just a sleazeball school, and two, if they end up being fooled by these institutions, I think that we owe it to them to get them out of their indebtedness. Generation uh, of soldiers have never been treated so badly as recently. Uh, first, the group in Vietnam for being ridiculed, spat upon, and insulted, and now another group that isn't being protected against uh, scam artists. And now we have a Department of Education that just has failed these these people. And I would want all of them to be helped, but especially the the, the soldiers. This is a it's just so sleazy and low life. That's my first complaint of the day. Um, here we have something else that's going on. I don't know how closely you track what's going on on college campuses, but every day it gets sillier, more obnoxious, more outrageous every day. And you know, and the outrage at the regular colleges and universities is costing more and more money. There are now three law schools that are charging $100,000 a year. Ming, you better not fool around with your money. Um, it just goes up and up and up. Um, and, and it's happening at, at real schools. For example, University of Colorado at Denver, which is a major school, a reputable school, a darn good school. And um, here's a fellow professor, Chad Shomura, uh, who believes that courses on American political thought are too fixated on white males. And he has, he has solved this problem by banning discussion of white men in his course on the nation's political thought. This is very difficult because you'd have to throw out people like Washington, Jefferson, the Tocqueville, Rousseau, and other people, many of whom are the foundation of political thought in this country, and I think did a rather good job. But this sort of stuff goes on and on, and everyone asks, as I do, why the hell does it go on and on? I don't know. If you know, you should get in touch with me. Here's an example of um, something that is just wild, but you probably haven't heard of it. Cornell recently had a protest by black students. By the way, I should mention Cornell is one of the top schools in the nation. Certainly one of the top 25, probably in the top, you know, 12 or whatever. Just a hell of a good school. Um, they have black students at Cornell. Now, some of the black students protested. What were they protesting? After all, there are a lot of black students on campus at Cornell. Yes, they are. But the idea of affirmative action and the idea of having black students on campus was to have American black students, not black students who are recently from Nigeria or Cameroon or Ghana. Not that these are nice countries or anything like that, but 
But, uh, you know, whenever you have affirmative action, that means a white person is being discriminated against. Now, I have to think um, whites, not that I want to seem discriminated against, but I think it's right and proper that we help out American blacks more than, than other people. And I don't mind that. But I do mind that, in effect, I or any other white person or their child will be discriminated against on behalf of someone in a different country, like Niger or Nairobi. Why has this happened? It has happened because the media pays no attention to this sort of thing. They have no zest, no appetite to uh, yell about something like this. Um, if white people had said something mean or done something wrong, then they would be all over this thing day and night. But here, the white people, the administrators, have acted to help black people, and the general view is, I guess, amongst the major media, that if you're helping any white people, uh, excuse me, if you're helping any black people, it's good. But the, the black students are now begging the administration of Cornell to bring in more um, American blacks because those are the ones they feel that were harmed by racism and slavery, and they were. Has any, have any of you ever harmed anyone from Niger, from Ghana, from Botswana, from Nigeria? I doubt it. This situation has brought out something that has basically been unknown. When I taught at Rutgers, I went by the computer place a lot, and there were a lot of black students there. The idea that they're not capable is nonsense. Computers strike me as um, an area where you need a lot of ability and intelligence. But it looked to me like most of the black people there were not from America. We had given these valuable and hard to get paid positions on our college campus, but they went from people to other from, to people from other countries. This is unconscionable. But hardly anyone knows about it, and the media is not interested about it. And nowadays. If you're not on the media, you might as well be on Mars. Um, some people, both black scholars, Lonnie Guinier and Henry Louis Gates, raised this question at a Harvard reunion weekend. It turns out that about 8% of Harvard undergraduates were black, but a majority, possibly as many as two-thirds, were from other countries, from Africa, the West Indies, and other countries like that. Um, it might be interesting looking to see why people from those places do perform rather well. But no one in America knows this, or hardly anyone in America knows this. Um, there, here's a study that was done in the American Journal of Education. They found that black immigrants make up 27% of black college students in America. Now, it is obvious that black immigrants do not make up 20%, 27% of the population. 
So what we're doing is we're privileging people um, as long as they're not white. How this helps American blacks who suffered from slavery, the aftermath of slavery, and some believe the, the ongoing discrimination and, and sideways looks, it doesn't at all. Um, this ought to be dealt with and would be dealt with in a blink of an eye if someone would write it up or talk about it on a radio or a podcast maybe who knows um, there is so much repetition in today's media uh, oh man if it's weather related it's just uh, just goes on eternally well what about talking about something like this it's just as important I think I think we do owe something to black Americans and I wonder if this will build up and build up and finally explode this distaste for, I don't know, America, the United States, Western civilization, white people, uh, that drives us into this, these nutty policies, while at the same time, American blacks get, let me put this in quote, blamed for these policies, but they don't get the benefits. Someone ought to march somewhere and have another rally. There's something else here that's, um, I think, darn interesting. Um, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal which has one of the best black colonists, Jason Riley, Jason L. Riley. And um, he's talking about um, how in the United States, we just don't look at certain bits of information because they go against certain dogmas, certain slogans that we have here, okay? For example, we talk about slavery, just almost completely about slavery in the Western Hemisphere, and we talk exclusively, or almost exclusively, about slavery and the slaves that came to America. The slaves that came to America are a tiny portion of the slaves that have been enslaved in human history. First of all, there's massive amounts of slavery. Basically, slavery has occurred all over the world. If not all-out slavery, if not chattel slavery, something darn close to it. But we only talk about basically American slavery, which is a terrible thing, and it should be discussed. But we get a false picture of it. In the Western Hemisphere, most of the slaves that came from Africa went to the Caribbean. Life for slaves in the Caribbean was so ferocious, so hard, that most of the slaves died and had to be replaced by other slaves. That explains the transatlantic slave um, system that we had set up. How many slaves do you think came to America? Well, looking at the person I regard as the greatest um, black scholar who studies black matters, it's uh, probably less than 400,000. Now, one slave is a horror show. 400,000 is a 400,000 horror shows. But it is not a great deal 
compared with the slaves, the total number of slaves taken out of Africa, which are somewhere around 12 million. And God knows how many died in the Middle Passage. Um, it has been reported, this is by Booker T. Washington, the great black educator of the turn of the century in America. He reported that between 1860 and 1900, black ownership rates grew from nothing to more than 20%. That is extremely high for anyone, black, white, or pinstripe. Okay, who cares? Well, we care because it, it gives you a different picture of life. It gives you a different picture of the ability of blacks to progress basically on their own. There sure as hell was no affirmative action around 1900. And yet you had 20% of blacks owning their own home. But they don't get credit for it because that's skipped over. The only thing that's mentioned that's emphasized is black failure or white failure that caused black failure. How many of you know this? A hundred years ago, about, black marriage rates exceeded those of whites. Those characteristics that we assume are connected exclusively with blacks, a lack of marriage, single mothers, was more prominent among whites than blacks. Now, not only is that an interesting figure that kind of makes us question what the hell the media is doing, but it also makes us question of why has this happened? How do you go from more marriage to less marriage? What the hell happened? And why did it happen at a time when at least white people think they're doing a pretty good job of helping blacks? We seem to have helped them into hell. Most black children were raised in two-parent homes. In the inner city in America, that is not true to the extreme. How can you blame this on slavery? They were a lot closer to slavery in 1900 than they are in, in the year 2000 forward. This is an interesting question. I mean, I don't know if all of the programs, and we spent a bloody fortune that are supposed to help blacks, are they helping blacks? Or are they just satisfying whites that, oh, we're good people after all? Once in a while, we ought to take a look at results when we do public policy. Well, liberals want to harp on how blacks have been treated, but a focus on how they progress in earlier years is also important. Do you know that after the Civil War, blacks would wander the country on foot, on horseback, in a wagon, looking for their wives and children, whether they were, you know, married in front of a justice at a peace or not. They went to terrific lengths. Uh, do you know that the black um, unemployment rate was somewhere around with the white unemployment rate for decades? Do you know that blacks were actually among the most prosperous people in the South after the Civil War? Well, how can that be? Well, 
the whites didn't know a lot except you go over there and do something. You go over there and do the other thing. Who was it who knew how to make barrels, which was a big business then, make iron barrel hoops, carpentry? It was often the black person. In fact, this was so prevalent that whites who owned slaves would hire out the blacks as skilled craftsmen. And then when they got the money, he would divvy up the money with the, the black slave. This gives it a, a different picture than what we're used to. And, and, it, and it should make it, you ask, it makes me ask, how, why is our information so, I don't know, poorly conveyed to us? Why is it that we don't know about this? Why is it that you didn't know about this unless you were in my class? Why is it that now that I'm not teaching full time, a lot of students are never gonna know about this? There is a view of the black-white relationship. There's a view of blacks, their abilities that has been, in my opinion, wildly distorted. There are people who can show you facts, figures, statistics that will indicate that before affirmative action, blacks were moving up. And there are scholars, scholars who will argue that they were moving up faster than they did before, after affirmative action. Don't forget, a lot of the blacks in the North came from the South and it was like coming to a new country. It takes a while to get started. Uh, these, this is one of these areas that bugs me a whole hell of a lot. The lack of, um, I don't know, the lack of honesty in, in the reporting and in education. In fact, the university is the place where you're least likely to hear more than one view, and it keeps going at rocket speed in that direction. You had better educate your students before they go to the university because afterwards they're going to get a view that, in my opinion, only includes half of reality. That's all I have to say today. And I hope I can hear from you guys. We're going to try and set up something where you can call in. And uh, I'd like to hear from you because the truth of the matter is there is very little opportunity for people in New Jersey to be heard on national and international issues. There's one talk radio show, but they spend their time, in my opinion, on a lot of hoo-ha and who is your first date, do you still know where they are, things like that. Um, and I'd like, to, I'd like to think that people in New Jersey have something to say about national and international events. So we'll see you next week, I hope. Thank you for listening.